You're listening to the Market Scale Education Technology Podcast. This is Lisa Vogt, and today I'm talking to Glenn Harrison. Glenn is a field supervisor and clinical instructor at Lamar University. Lamar offers bachelor's and graduate degrees in person and online. Thanks for being here today, Glenn. Thanks for asking me to be here, Lisa. You've worked as an educator in multiple roles as your career has progressed. Walk us through some of the highlights. I've been an educator for for 31 years now. Most of that time has been spent at K-12 and specifically uh, at the high school level. I started out as as a science teacher about 10, 12 years, moved into into the business education department and stepped into fields a little later on, web conferencing or webcasting and web design. You know, during that time, uh, I was also an athletic coach nice. for, uh, for all of my educational career. Towards the end of, of my K-12 experience, I, I, I really enjoyed technology. And wanted to pursue some, you know, higher aspirations and and moving up to the administrative level, and and really quite honestly wanted to go into more of a uh, technology director or something along those lines. It didn't quite work out that way. I, I had some opportunities to move into administration. Mm-hmm. I spent four years as a instructional technology specialist at my campus and and several others campuses I was in charge of and had an opportunity to go into an assistant principal role for a couple of years at the campus I was at. So, and now looking back at it, I, I really enjoyed that role and relished uh, in being able to do that because it has given me uh, a lot of insight in helping in the position I'm at now where at Lamar University uh, in helping our students to become future administrative leaders for their campuses and even though I didn't necessarily think I was going to be in this position, each step has been interesting, and I certainly have enjoyed it. Well, you've walked such an interesting path going directly from working with students to a role that's increasingly online-based. I mean, when you're a coach, you can't get any more hands-on than that, right? What's your feeling about working remotely with students? Do you miss that personal one-on-one interaction, or do you feel like you've got that interaction through other means? You know, that's funny you should uh, ask that question because the, one of the main things that I was really skeptical about when I first thought about taking this position was I was going from uh, being around people and obviously it, as, as a, and I was a head coach for 15 years, a baseball head coach and, and being around people and being around kids and their parents and being a people person, that was where I, I drew my energy. So from going to that setting, and into being by myself, I guess my dog is the only other person or the only <laughs> other thing that's with me during the whole day. I was uh, I was concerned about leaving that atmosphere, you know, being the guy in charge or the leader to being, you know, by myself. So right. fast forward through just finished my second year at Lamar and I, I can't tell you how satisfying it has been to go from a position uh, being around people, but now still being able to uh, to assist students a little older than you know dealing with uh, teenagers now, but but essentially the same the same concerns, the same um, anxieties, uh, 
that you have. They're just right. a little older. So I still draw great benefit and get satisfaction in being able to help people with their issues, problems, and helping them to move through the program. As a field supervisor, how are you using educational technology and how are you interacting with students on a daily basis? So one of my, uh, my main responsibilities as a field supervisor is to assist our students in completing uh, three, three projects or three assignments throughout the entirety of their program. So they, they're responsible for three videos, three 45-minute videos, whether they're a principal cert or a master's program. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the issues that occur, whether it's actually finding, finding how to, you know, shoot the videos or any troubleshooting issues that occur as uh, after they finish with it and in downloading and uploading to their, to their desktop system or drawing that information off, say, an iPad or a mobile device, mm -hmm. then I'm, I'm kind of the guy within the field supervisor uh, unit that, that helps them and walks them through successfully uploading and downloading through our, our Blackboard and, and TK20 uh, LMSs. And you know, that's kind of the areas that, that I help them and assist them in, in their program. A 45-minute video seems really lengthy and uh, time-consuming to create. What's the content of that type of video? What are, what are students showing? What are they demonstrating when they create a video like that? One is a, an observation video, one's a participating, and then the third one is a leading video. All three of them have different components in it, but basically what, what we do is we have, uh, we have an introductory portion of the video, which can last anywhere from three to five minutes where they identify what they're doing. They give the reason behind it and demographics and basically uh, sets, sets the, uh, the setting for, for this specific assignment. In the, in the activity portion of it, uh, say for instance, in the observing video, they're, they're going to go into a teacher's classroom. They're going to observe the teacher and once that observation is done, then there's a third component, which is the, the reflection piece. And typically the reflection piece will go anywhere from seven to 10 minutes. And then that reflective piece, that's, that's really the, the core and the crux of all three videos. It's, uh, it's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And what is it that, that the students gained from being able to, to do this specific project and what they what they learned in the course of being in that teacher's classroom or either uh, leading a focus group or uh, or interviewing someone in HR about you know some of their uh, district policies. So it's it's that reflective piece and and that's really the main the main thing in all three videos is is learning that's taking place. That's great. It sounds like your students are going to be very well prepared for their careers after graduating, having walked through learning to master these technologies and demonstrate and present their expertise. Have you found, have you gotten feedback that students feel like they're really prepared after going through this? Well, not only do they send emails and we will also see them at graduation and they're certainly uh, very appreciative throughout those processes, whether it be assignments or in this case, video help. 
they're very thankful because we've put them in a position to, you know, obviously you can't you can't tell somebody, for instance, in a principal or an assistant principal role, th- this is how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you do these things, if you do A, then B is going to happen. And because each situation is different, all you can do is give them guidelines, here, here's suggestions, here's what you you could run into, and you really can't fully prepare them what's going to take place on a day-to-day basis. But you can you can obviously give them situations and pair them uh, with tools for their tool belt mm-hmm. to when they do get in those situations that they can be as prepared as they can. Ultimately, when they go to take the state uh, 068 test, uh, the exit level test, and they've gone through our program and uh, and they're successful on that test, then that shows that we've given them ample opportunity to be successful with the objectives that we prepared them with in the coursework, and then also giving them real world, real life applications to uh, to help them uh, not only in in the day to day job, but also to to pass that O sixty eight test too. Glenn, you and I were talking before we started recording about the COVA learning process that Lamar uses. Can you talk a little bit about that? What does COVA mean, and and what how does it benefit students? Sure, COVA process. We're using this primarily in our uh, our digital leading and learning program at Lamar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Dwayne Harapnik, Dr. Uh, Talissa Thibodeau, and Dr. Cynthia Cummings at, at Lamar, they've, they've kind of introduced this, this learning approach. Uh, and it, it's simply um, the uh, COVA or COVA, which uh, the C means basically to uh, the freedom to choose how students wish to organize and structure and present their, uh, their learning experience. The O is uh, ownership over that learning. Uh, and the processes, the selection of your uh, of the different projects and technology tools that you use. The V is the opportunity to use your own voice uh, to revise, restructure using different work ideas and habits while sharing these ideas. And then A is the authentic learning experience uh, that will enable those students to make a difference in their own learning environments. And it sounds really energizing, the ability to have more choice in the path that you take in the specific assignments that you take on. And are you seeing some of this happening in the K through 12 environment as well? Well, not so much. There are pockets in, in uh, you know, the, the last school district I was at, we started to do something that was very similar. It's, you know, when you talk about project-based learning and some other areas where you talk about standard ba- standards-based grading, Mm-hmm. Then you start to get into these ideas where our teaching and our learning has been you know, the post-industrial era where you you sit and get and and listen to a, a teacher lecture and you are uh, those of us that learned you know throughout the 70s 80s I'm not dating myself but uh, you know we were we were told to to uh, sit in a classroom and listen to a lecture and regurgitate that information. And then once once that was over, once we took that quiz or test, then we were moving on to the next lesson or next, you know, next section or whatnot. And, yeah. and typically that information was lost with this new learning and, and the way the way students are now. I think you you have to change or we should be changing 
that, uh, you know, students need to be aware not only what they're doing from a local and regional and national, but they they need to be more global and they need to know what's what's going on at the rest of the world because that information is at their fingertips. And, uh, you know, it's no longer, you know, the teacher's not not the owner of all the information anymore. I mean, a student can can hit a couple of keys and hit enter and find any and everything that they want to. I think as teachers, we have to we have to be able to adjust and get out of that. I know everything attitude and be able to access and utilize this this information that we have at our fingertips and help students to be able to access access the same information and make reasonable and informed decisions based on that knowledge that's out there and information that's out there. Right. And it's so interesting to think about the history of education. And, you know, you talk about the industrial age and we were we were taught to sit in the classroom and, and listen and it would prepare us for taking orders. Are you optimistic about the future of education as it relates to the advances in our business environments and our technology environments that we're facing in our careers? Yes, I do. You know, the more you watch TV, the more you watch the news the more we're seeing the emphasis on collaboration, relationship building, Mm -hmm. that fits right in with project-based learning, with this cooperative and collaborative learning that we need to be doing more of. Kind of the flip side of that, you know, you think with with an online program that that you have have an individual sitting at home and, and nobody else around them, and it's just they have the choice to sit behind a camera and and be incognito, but you know, going through now uh, and and seeing it from a student side, and now as a as a faculty side, it, online programs offer a sense of community. I think that uh, are more impactful than than what face to face can mm. can be because because of the the need to you still have to have that collaboration. You still need that that interaction with a human being. And that that doesn't go away. Now, people might might be inclined initially as they go in to these programs to think that they can get by just on their own and not feel the need to have to interact. But I I, I did my dissertation over uh, the influence of emotional intelligence on successful doctoral candidates in an online program. And to a person that I that I interviewed, they there were four or five of them that went in with that very, very way of thinking that mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need others. Uh, I'm going to do this by myself. And they pretty much to a person, they found that after two or three courses that they couldn't get by in the program without having help and assistance and collaboration and that, that was needed to, to be successful in the program. And they found at the end of the program, that some of their most best friends uh, were made from from that program and the interactivity and, and the collaboration that they had in an online program. Uh, that's encouraging, Glenn. That's that's really that's yep. great to hear. And as a thought leader for EdTech, what do you see on the horizon? What's the next step? One thing I, I see that that K twelve is doing more and more of, and I just don't know how it's it's going to play out uh, down the road. But I, I see the use of flipped classroom. Whether it's you know it's Canvas or Google Classroom and uh, you know Blackboard, the LMSs that are used, 
Mm-hmm. I think it lends itself from a K-12 standpoint of allowing teachers to to really get in and make changes in how they present the material to kids. Number one, you, you, you have to find a way to motivate those students. I'm talking about teenagers. True. They need that something that's going to, you know, some activities that are thoughtful and and something that they can be connected to the world uh, outside that classroom. So you're you're going to have to find ways that you can do that. Uh, one one thing I I, uh, I was reading a book called Connections Based Learning by Sean Robinson, and one one of the things he said this is from a a study by Legault and uh, Peltier from the University of Ottawa in 2006. They found that student motivation significant significantly decreases when students do not see the value in what they're learning at school. So if you don't find a way as a teacher to motivate the students and find a way how it relates to something else that they're doing, then they're going to shut down. They're going to turn you off. And uh, that's not good in a classroom. They have to be able to do things like flip classroom. They have to be able to use apps. Uh, So app innovation and, and gamification you know, or, or ways that you can involve those students. You can, kids, kids will be on games for hours and hours and hours. I heard a teacher say, well, the kids don't have the, have the staying power or, uh, you know, they don't, they don't stay focused. Well, I've known kids that stay up all night playing games, so they can stay focused. You just have to find, find how to motivate them to stay focused. And then, and then I guess the last component would be, you know, the need for uh, digital literacy and citizenship. So students are safe and uh, they're, they're able to decipher all that information that's out there and, and to make the right decisions on what's applicable to, to their learning and what's, what's not. Well, speaking of games, as a former baseball coach, I'm sure you're still a baseball fan. Who are you rooting for this season? You know, I'm from Texas. Uh, you know, grew up in down the down the Houston area, uh, so I loved the Astros when I was a kid growing up, and then moved to North Texas. And you know, that's when Nolan uh, Nolan Ryan went from the Astros to to the Rangers. So I was a huge Rangers fan when when I first went to North Texas, and so I was very happy that that the Astros were able to uh, you know uh, win the whole thing this past year. It was very sad when. Uh, when the Rangers had those had those couple years where they were right in the thick of things and and almost won it and just didn't quite get it done, so those two teams would be my favorite. All right, there you go. Well, thanks, Glenn. I really appreciate you being on the podcast today, and thank you for the important work that you're doing as an educator. You bet. Glad for the invite, and I think your program uh, is very interesting, and uh, you offer a lot of uh, educational value in what we're doing. So appreciate you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.